0: I really believe that He's coming, then I'm going to prepare And So this Sunday, we want to uh, focus on that and uh, think in terms of, do I have a prepared heart? And really, people that I look at, when I think about that, when we talk about it with our family, you think of Zechariah and Elizabeth, you think of Joseph and Mary. These are the New Testament people that God chose to bring His King through, and when He To them, they were ready. And there were different degrees. They weren't perfect. As you know, Zechariah doubted God and had to get a little discipline. But uh, Elizabeth, Mary, and Joseph, they were a prepared people. And, you know, really, it's no different now. The second coming of Christ can happen at any time, it's been promised. The question I have for you, the question I have for myself, is are we ready? Are we prepared? And so we're going to talk about that. And we've said in the last four Psalms of Ascent, these all are geared around the Son of David, around the advent of the Son of David. And these last four Psalms that we're studying are a great way to celebrate Advent. And so last week we looked at Psalm 132. We kind of flipped them so that we could get a big picture of the promise of God's sovereignty. But what we're going to do today is look at Psalm 131. One of the shortest psalms of ascent. Only three verses. But boy, this thing is packed. And it's the preparation of a humble heart. Those that really lay hold of God's promises, those that are really prepared for His coming, they have a humble heart. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer. And then uh, we're going to read that psalm. And we're going to dive in. Does that sound good? Alright, so why don't you turn your Bibles. I hope you have them. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 131. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. Man, this is great, isn't it? A beautiful day, and are here, here. And let's expect great things from the Lord. Father, we come, and uh, what a, a great time of year! What it's cold now, and that kind of gets us ready for this time of year in our part of the country. And we're just thankful, Lord, that we can worship here. And I'm thankful for each person here. And I pray, Lord, that in the busyness, we're all busy. In the busyness of this season, we're taking time to think about Advent, to think about your promises. Promises that began in Genesis chapter three, verse fifteen, the seed of a woman. Promises that trace through to the Davidic covenant, the seed of David. Promises that came true in your first coming, as Jesus was the seed of of a woman named Mary and father we want to be prepared we are a proud people a self-sufficient people and Lord this psalm cuts through all of that so Lord prepare us for surgery divine surgery because we know when you cut you also heal and you replace You have created in your people a new heart. And Lord, we want the heart of the greatest son of David. We want the heart of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. All right. Awesome. Look at Psalm 131 and notice this. Psalm 131, it's called a song of ascents. A psalm of ascents. And this song about humility fits right in. So this psalm is all about humility and how that fits is the Psalms of Ascent is, is, is it's, it's, it's preparing the hearts of a true worshiper. So the main thing I want you to get right off the bat is the heart of a true worshiper is a humble heart. But notice it's also a psalm of ascents written by David. Do you see that in your Bibles? It's written by David. And many think that this is also a royal psalm. And those are songs that really talk about the Davidic king and the rule and the ruler and the the headship of the Davidic king. So the idea here is this. A prepared leader has a humble heart. A prepared worshiper has a humble heart and a prepared leader has a humble heart. So as we look at this Psalm 131, this is a song that tells you how to prepare your heart to be a godly leader and to be a godly worshiper. So let's read it together. No Psalm 131. O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty. Nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul like a weaned child rests against his mother. My soul is like a weaned child within me. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. Listen, do you want to be a great leader in your marriage? then have this kind of heart. You want to be a great leader as a dad or mom, then have a prepared heart that's a humble heart. You want to be a great leader in this church, then have uh, become a great worshiper with a humble heart. If you want to be a leader that influences the people you love, no matter where they are, in the marketplace, in college, at school, wherever you are, listen, if you want to be a great leader, then become a true worshiper with a prepared heart, a humble heart. That's the message from David. You say, why is that important? Well, humility has always been essential. Humility has always been essential to the coming of the king and his kingdom. David, who wrote Psalm 131, was called a man after God's own heart. And I would put forth to you that those short verses we just read reveal the key to a man or a person with a heart for God. It's a humble heart. It's a humble heart. And when you think about the life of David, see a lot of uh, Bible scholars think, yeah, you know, this song, you know, where does this fit in the life of David? And a lot of them say, well, it fits in his early years when he was that humble shepherd boy, and he had such a heart for God. Surely not those years where he was a mighty king, and certainly not those years when he had a proud heart and sinned with Bathsheba and tried to cover it up with murder. But the reality is this. When you trace through the life of David, he exemplified this song throughout his life now i don't have time this morning to take you through that but as a as the eighth son the youngest son of eight brothers you know you got to have a heart of humility am i right todd the youngest of just three all right he and as the youngest guess what task he got the lowly dirty task of doing what why Okay, there's David out of sight, out of mind. Then when he shows up on the field of battle to to go to battle for the fame of God's name against Goliath, his older brother says, what are you doing here? You're just here out of vain ambition. You're just a proud little brat that's trying to make a name for yourself. You can go all the way through. But listen, listen. Even when that old prophet Nathan stuck his bony finger in David's face and said, you are the man. David showed a humble heart. And after a year of hiding his sin, he came clean and wrote two beautiful songs about it. After that, he was publicly humiliated and betrayed by his own son, Absalom, who rebelled against him and tried to overthrow his kingdom. And you know what David did? He humbly took that shame and didn't seek revenge. He was gracious to Saul who sought to kill him. He was already, David was already God's anointed, and Saul knew it, and Saul refused to accept it, and Saul sought to go after him. And even when David had opportunities to kill Saul, who was trying to kill him, what did David do? He sang this song. He showed a humble heart. Even after Saul died, David didn't take revenge on his descendants, but David sought. Where is a descendant of Saul that I could honor and bring to my table? And he brought that man with the longest name in the Bible that I'm not going to pronounce for you today. And he brought him as a cripple to his table. And even he betrayed David. So what I'm trying to say to you is humility has always been essential to the coming of the king in his kingdom. And David sang this song in his early years. He sang it in middle age, and he sang it to the end of his days. And humility has been essential to the coming of the king. Just think about Mary and Joseph showed this same humility of the song when chosen to be parents of the greatest son of David, the coming King, Jesus Christ. See, I don't think we realize just how much a heart of humility prepares us. Think of, think of Joseph. His humility is seen in accepting the public disgrace of staying engaged to a pregnant fiance. His humility is seen in remaining celibate until Jesus was born, as God commanded. Men, think about this. You're married. There's no honeymoon. It's put on delay. He humbled himself. He adopted a son as his own that he did not conceive. And then think of Mary, accepting the public disgrace of being pregnant while engaged, accepting the mind-blowing assignment from the Lord to be the mother of his own son. If that doesn't take some humility, wow. Refusing to question God's ability to do the impossible, that was, that was a heart of humility. Raising the perfect child. Ladies, ladies, how many times have you thought, man, this is so hard, raising imperfect kids, and that's humbling, right? You know what's more humbling? Raising the perfect child. I mean the perfect child. I I can't even explore. I don't even know. But that took humility. And of course, watching her son grow and fulfill the role of the greatest son of David, seeing him publicly disgraced and crucified as a common criminal, that took humbling and humility. Accepting, at, well, listen to this, ladies, after the resection, resurrection, his mother, her mother-son relationship was forever transformed and would no longer be that of a normal mother or son. What a humbling, what a humbling situation. You see, humility has always been essential to the coming of the king and his kingdom. And then just think of Jesus himself in the incarnation, what Christmas is all about. His humility is seen as he left the glories of heaven and with a humble heart took on humanity to be born in a manger with stinky animals. Uh, A a, a Christmas CD that I love listening to this year is called Lowborn King. He was a lowborn king being born in that manger, becoming a refugee as a baby. As his parents fled to Egypt to escape Herod, rejected by his own Jewish people he came to deliver, betrayed by one of his hand-picked disciples, forsaken by all of them at his crucifixion, misunderstood by his own family who never really believed in him. Think of what we think. We think, you know, as long as my family believes in me. Well, guess what? They didn't believe in him until after the resurrection. Choosing to wash the feet of disciples when they should have been washing his. Constantly misunderstood and questioned by those closest to him. You know, I disciple a guy in a year and I'm like, man, can't you get this? Jesus taught for three years and they still didn't get it. All up to the night before he was even crucified. Even after he rose from the dead. Think of Thomas. Talk about a heart of humility being crucified as a proud rebel, when in reality he was the most humble, obedient person on the planet. Here's what I'm saying. Humility has always been essential to the coming of the king and his kingdom, and it doesn't escape us. Our humility as citizens of his kingdom is seen in two ways. First of all, in Philippians 2, We're commanded, have the same attitude in you that was in Christ Jesus. And what is that attitude? A heart of humility. And then in Matthew 18, we can't even enter the kingdom unless we have the humble faith of a child. Listen to Matthew 18, 1 through 4. At the time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is the greatest of the kingdom of heaven? Obviously thinking, it's me. And he called a child to himself and sat before them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So, this short little song has huge, I guess that's a popular word now, huge implications, and it has much to teach us. I love what the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, said about this song. One of the shortest psalms to read, but one of the longest to learn. So, let's look at it. It's got five characteristics of a prepared worshiper. This is the characteristics that we ought to bring in Right now, when we come on Sundays to worship, this is the heart that Christ is looking for when He comes back. Those who are prepared will have these five characteristics. So let's take a look at the first one. The first one is, a prepared heart is a humble heart. A prepared heart is a humble heart. That, we see this in verse 1. O Lord, my heart is not proud nor my eyes haughty, nor do I involve myself in great manners or things too difficult for me. I really like how the New King James translates it. It says, Lord, my heart's not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. Now, that's a, just a good way. Listen, humble people, they don't have haughty, haughty, haughty pride and lofty eyes. Haughty hearts and lofty eyes. The point is clear. David's simply saying to the Lord, Lord, I'm ready to enter your presence because I have a prepared heart. It's a humble heart. Well, how do I know if, how do you and I know if we have a humble heart? Let me give you a couple things. First of all, a humble heart recognizes pride when it raises its ugly head in its own heart. Humble people know they're prideful. Pride people never do. Are you with me? You know, listen, proud people don't realize they're proud. That's the problem with pride. It blinds us to the true condition of our heart. In fact, proud people often go around telling other people how humble they are. And that's when you know, you know, so if you start hearing yourself, oh, I'm so humble, I'm one of the humblest people I know. No, you're one of the proudest people. Humble people see their pride, and they do what David did, they confess it, to the Lord. So, a humble heart recognizes pride. We get in this verse three ways to recognize pride in our own hearts. So, let's take note. First of all, pride is seen in proud attitudes. It's a heart issue. He says, "The heart my heart is not haughty or pr- proud." It begins with a proud attitude. See, pride is to exalt myself over others. That's just about as simple as it can get. It's thinking too highly of ourselves, but also there's a false pride that thinks too lowly of ourselves. Some people go on and on about how they're nothing, and you you say the same thing to them that goes on and on about how great they are. Quit talking about yourself, and I love this from C.S. Lewis. In mere creation, uh, Christianity, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. But if we don't deal with the proud attitudes, it leads to number two pride is seen in presumptuous ambitions. Presumptuous ambitions. That's in the phrase, nor are my eyes lofty or haughty. The proud heart is seen in the proud look. The eyes, the lifting your eyes up is saying, look, I'm going to be great. It's lifting yourself up and saying, I'm going to make a name for myself. I'm going to be a great person. It's the proud look that in Proverbs 6, the Lord says he hates. Listen to this. Proverbs 6. There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. And guess what the first one is? Haughty eyes. The proud look. The proud look. Basically, it's being presumptuous about what you can accomplish and what you can do. Think in terms of the Tower of Babel. Remember they said, hey, let's gather together and let's make a name for ourselves and build a tower to heaven that's the idea that uh, he's talking about one commentator put it this way the proud person looks compares competes and is never content he plans and schemes in his heart how he can outdo and outperform others and right there we could have a little invitation that's convicting isn't it see pride's not like some of our presidential, you know, it's not the it's not always the big boastful, boastful, boisterous person. It can be people like us in this room, who are constantly thinking. I mean, I gotta, I gotta outdo, I gotta outperform, constantly comparing, constantly competing. Oh man, you know, if, if we had an X-ray to see all of our hearts right now, right? <laughs> Presumptuous ambitions. Well. This is exactly what Satan who was a beautiful, created angel, who, many believe, was the worship leader of heaven, a true worshiper, leading in worship. But one day, in his heart, he said in his heart, according to Isaiah 14, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. You see, that's the lofty eye. That's the presumptuous ambition. And yet God said, nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. Well, if we don't get a handle on presumptuous ambition, then pride will be seen in our pompous action. In our pompous action. This is what he says in the last part of this verse. Nor do I involve myself in great matters or things too difficult for me. Now, I looked up pompous because I knew it was a great word, and I looked it up, and you know how dictionaries have de- uh, uh, sentences to to help explain the word? So I'm going to say a word here in church, but it's from the dictionary, okay? So here's the dictionary description, sentence, of pompas. A pompous ass who pretends he knows everything, okay? That's That's it. That's it. That's it. It's a pr- a proud attitude and a presumptuous ambition will cause us to attempt things that are too lofty for us. You see, the proud person's never... Never satisfied with the shape and the limitations God's placed on their life. They're always wanting to be greater than God wants them to be, do things that God hasn't, you know, isn't within His will, push the boundaries and barriers of morality in order to do what they want. That is pompous actions. It's always seeking to do things that only God can do and striving to go where only God can go. Now, I want to bring this down. He says great and wonderful things. These are the things that only God can do. So let me, let me make this practical. For example, here are pompous actions. Seeking answers to questions that God has not chosen to reveal. How many people do you know are always asking questions that God hasn't answered and demanding those answers from God? That's pompous action. So trying to solve mysteries that only God can remember. How many times have you read a book or encountered someone, I'm going to explain to you man's responsibility and God's sovereignty. That is a pompous action. okay? Because God hasn't, hasn't explained how that mystery works, right? But there's some people that will dedicate their whole life. I'm going I'm to solve this. And then the saddest thing is when they think they have solved it. That's when they get dangerous. Seeking to do things that only God can do. Attempting to break through moral barriers, as I've already said, that God has set. Such pomp. Let me bring it even more down to where you and I live. Such pompous actions are seen in the workaholic who thinks everything depends on him or her. That's pride. In the controlling person who thinks they must have their hands on everything. That's pompous action. In the warrior who refuses to let God oversee what they cannot control. In the helicopter parent that can't step back and ever let their child try their wings. That's a prideful heart. In the whiner that can never accept things as they are from the hand of God. Well, how does a humble heart respond to this? A humble heart responds to this kind of pride... By doing three things, rooting out those proud attitudes, rooting them out, not letting them remain, rejecting presumptuous ambitions. Lord, when I think this way, I reject that. I'm going to figure out my shape. I'm going to accept my shape, and I'm going to rest in my shape, and then repenting of pompous actions because we all do them. So that's the first characteristic of a prepared heart. It's a humble heart. But here's the second characteristic of a humble heart. of a a true worshiper, of a prepared worshiper. And it's this, a prepared heart is a praying heart. You see, truly humble people are praying people. Would you agree? Now, look at the beginning of this verse. It's a prayer. Sometimes we read these psalms, and we forget that in the context, this is a prayer. And it begins with these words, O Lord, and And in the Hebrew and in the New American Standard, it reflects this. The first two words of this song in the Hebrew is this. Oh, Lord, my heart. Oh, Lord, my heart. Because here's the thing. You'll never be humble without a high view of God. Until you see the Lord in His greatness and His majesty, we don't understand how prideful we are. See, as long as I'm comparing myself to someone else, and I always conveniently compare myself to someone who's more, what? More proud than I am. And then the more prideful they are, the more proud I can be of how humble I am. The only problem is when we compare ourselves to the right standard, oh... See, we're like Isaiah in Isaiah 6, one of the great worship passages. What did did Isaiah do? He saw the Lord high and lifted up. And they were shouting, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And what did he say? Oh, I am a man, woe is me. I am a man of unclean. See, that's a man ready to worship. That's a prepared heart. So, this is a prayer. Well, here's the deal. A humble heart is a prayerful heart that confesses its own pride before the Lord. A humble heart is a prayerful heart that confesses. See, David, you know, one of the difficulties on this, on this song, look at this song. It's like David, bra- it almost sounds like he's bragging before the Lord. Hey, I'm not proud. He kind of looks like he's committing the very thing. You know, I'm not proud. God, I just want to tell you a little bit here about how, not, how, how humble I am. But listen, he's not bragging before other people. He's not informing God. God, I just want you to know what a humble guy I am. David's confessing to God. And he's saying, look, God, left to myself, I'm a proud man. But in relation to you, I have become a humble man. You see, the proud heart can be heard in the way proud people pray. If they pray at all. Pride echoes in the prayers of proud people. If they pray at all. Because after all, proud people either don't pray at all. After all, who needs God when you've got it all together? Now that right there is a good convicting question on whether we're a proud people. How much did we pray this last week? To the degree that we were prayerless, we were proud. And to the degree that we were prayerful, we were humble. Proud people pray about themselves. Their prayers are full of eyes. The subject of the prayer is themselves. Remember the proud Pharisee who prayed and he stood before God and he said, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes all of what I get. Now, we've all been in enough prayer meetings, most of us in this room. We know these kind of prayers. People that talk about themselves all the time, ironically, pray about themselves all the time. They pray to let God in on what they're doing and planning to. Hey, God, got some great things planned. Would you bless it? They pray as an afterthought or last resort in times of trouble. And man, you know what? Are we not all guilty? I'll at least confess for myself. But you know what humble people do? A humble heart can be heard in the way humble humble people pray, for they pray all the time. See, humility echoes in the prayer of the humble. They go to the Lord in prayer. Where else can they turn? What else can they do? They pray about the Lord and others, not just themselves. They pray to submit to what He wants. Lord, I'm coming to prayer not to tell you what I'm going to do, but to ask you what you want me to do and to let you know I'm ready to do it. They pray as a first response. Wow. So, a prepared worshiper has a humble heart and they have a praying heart. Number three, a prepared heart is a trusting heart. A prepared heart is a trusting heart. You see, this doesn't happen automatically. It happens as we come before the Lord, as we humble ourselves before the Lord, and we pray for the Lord to humble us, then we have a fight on our hands. Lord, I'm a proud person that wants to be a humble person before you. Look at verse 2. Surely I have composed and quieted. My soul, like a weaned child, rests against his mother. My soul is like a weaned child. This is something that I've had to work on. This is something I've had to do, he says. Now, two things I want you to see here. First of all, a humble heart turns from oneself to trust completely in the Lord in all things at all times. A humble heart turns from oneself to trust completely in the Lord for all things at all times. Now, look at verse 1. Verse 1 was focused on the heart. The heart is the command center. Okay, And he's saying, look, in the deepest command centers center of my life, I'm humbling myself. But verse 2, two times he mentions what? Not the heart, but the, the soul. And whenever you see soul in the Bible, you want to think the whole life. So here's what happens. When we have a heart of humility, it begins to shape everything in our lives. Everything in our lives. Now you say, Chris, do you really think the Lord wants me to trust Him completely for all things at all times? Really? Proverbs 3, 5, and 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from he- evil. How serious was David about this? Well, look at that word surely in verse 2. What did some of your other translations have there in verse 2? Surely, anything else? They all surely? What? Instead, okay, the word there, is, he's swearing before God. He's saying, God, I swear I have quieted my heart. I swear I, I, I'm committed to this. In fact, Lord, you can do something to me if this isn't really true, if I'm not telling you the truth. See, David's real serious. He says, I swear this is how it is in my heart and life. Now, how is it? Well, he gives us a word picture. A trusting soul is like a weaned child resting on his or her mother so here's kind of a picture for you and i to kind of discern is this where we're at think about your think about your whole life and say could my whole life reflect the picture of a winged child resting on the breasts of his or her mother now a couple things you got to understand of this He says weaned, not weaning. So this is not a child who is breastfeeding. This is a child who has been weaned off the breast. And yet, no longer needing the mother's milk, still wants the mother's comfort and security. It's a sweet time, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, because it's it's much better than the... I, I don't know, Carmen, I'm trusting your... it's much better than the actual breastfeeding process. It's that time when that's over, and all women probably say, thank God. No, No, maybe not. Okay, I'm I'm going beyond where I should go. (laughs) To me, it would seem. Okay. Thank God for women. But here's the point. Here's the picture. Here's the. P- it's a beautiful picture. A weaned child in this culture was three to four years old. Now, maybe, sounds better. Three to four, okay. Yeah, okay, no, no, I forgot. I, I've heard this story. No, no, no. Okay, three to four, three to four. Weaned. Now, the child's no longer coming because it's needy. The child's no co- longer coming because it's hungry. The child is no longer coming demanding meet my need. Now the child is coming for what reason? I love you. I love being with you. See David saying, I don't ha- I don't have this restless heart anymore. I'm not coming to you God anymore demanding to meet my needs, demanding to change my circumstances, demanding to satisfy my hungers of my soul. I'm coming to you now like a weaned child that just wants to be with you. Now, that's beautiful. Is that the state of your heart this past week? Is that how things are going this Christmas season? Have you composed... And quieted your soul and humbled it before the majesty and the grace of our promise-keeping God who has sent His Son, the greatest Son of David, and who's coming again. And are you able to come to Him? And do you come to Him and nestle in Him and find comfort and security in Him, not demanding in a proud, restless way? but in a humble, restful way. You see, the weaned child resting on, her, on his or her mother's breast is a picture of simple, childlike faith. Simple, childlike faith. Lord, it's chaos down here, but I'm trusting you like a weaned child. It's a picture of satisfied contentment. I'm past the feeding stage. I'm contented. I'm contented. It's satisfied contentment. Ah, let's just let's just chill out here, Mom. Beautiful, isn't it? Almost makes you want to have more kids, right? Three. A picture of secure confidence. A picture of uh, you know. I'm just not really hitting on all cylinders, am I? A picture of secure confidence. Now, listen. The greatest picture I can give you. I, I you know. I'm no mom. I'm a dad. But ah. Oh, one of my greatest memories of my daughter that I would have more kids to relive is a ro- old red recliner in our living room. One, two in the morning with this kid in her footy PJ stretched out that fit this way right on my chest and just laying. Priceless. Priceless. Now, did she... What did she get out of that? You know, if you ask Amber, what are your great memories of dad? It's not that. You know why? Because she had simple childlike faith, enough to even sleep. She had a satisfied contentment. She had a con- she didn't have to worry about anything, right? Because she was in dad's arms. Listen, that's what we're supposed to be. And us men, if we're too proud to take in this word picture, then we're too proud to be a child of God. Because God wants us to come to him with that kind of security, that kind of satisfaction, that kind of simple childlike faith where we say, Lord, I'm going to just rest in you like a weaned child. Wow. And it can happen. And when you do that, when you and I do that, we have the fourth characteristic of a prepared heart. Because a prepared heart is a hope-filled heart. It's a hope-filled heart. Listen, when you have a humble heart, a praying heart, and a trusting heart before the promise-keeping God, let me tell you, you have a hope-filled heart. And that's the climax in verse 3. So notice what he says in verse 3. He says, Hope in the Lord... From this time forth. Now, I know that he's telling other people to do that. But he's telling them after verses 1 and 2. In other words, he's saying, first, I have a hope-filled heart before I tell anyone else to have one. So let me give you two points here. A prepared heart hopes in the Lord, always and forever. Hope in the Lord. Listen, truly humble people are humble... Because they have one hope and one hope only. It's Yahweh, the promise-keeping, ever-present Redeemer. Prepared hearts hope in what the Lord has done at His first coming, what He's doing between the comings, and what He's yet to do in the second coming. That is our hope. Not what we do, but what He does. Prepared hearts know that they have a now-not-yet hope. The Lord began something marvelous 2,000 years ago, and He's going to come again. That's what Advent is all about. He's coming again to finish what He started. Can we say amen to that? But if if we have a now not yet hope, that means the second principle we need to think about is a prepared heart waits on the Lord. We hope in the Lord, and we show that we're hoping in Him by waiting on Him. By waiting on him until he comes with his kingdom. Now, if you look at, look at Psalm 131, look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth. Now, look at Psalm 130, the one right before it. Look at verse 7. O Israel, hope in the Lord. But look at verses 5 and 6 that come right before that in Psalm 130. These psalms are tied together. I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait, and in His word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, indeed more than the watchman for the morning. So here's the point. You know what you're hoping in based on what you're waiting for. Christmas kids, their hope is for presents. So what are they waiting for? Either Christmas Eve or Christmas morning. However, your family, whatever you hope for, you're willing to wait for. So let me ask you, you know, if I ask you the Sunday school question, where's your, ho- are you, you know, where's your hope? Well, my hope is in the Lord. Okay. But the real-life question is, what are you getting up every morning waiting and and anticipating and looking forward to? That's what you're really hoping for. Singles may be hoping for a mate. Married couples may be hoping for children. Couples with children may be hoping for kids moving out. You You know, I don't know. But whatever you're waiting for, you know, whatever you're hoping for, that's what you're waiting for. But if our hope is really in the Lord, then we're going to wait on him. And we're not going to put our hope in elections. We're not going to put our hope in the Supreme Court. We're not going to put our hope in a candidate, whether he won or or lost. We're, we're, we're going to wait for the one that's really going to set this right. Well, that brings us then to the fifth characteristic of a prepared heart of a true worshiper. And it's this, a prepared heart is an encouraging heart. He kind of unexpectedly, he's doing this inward stuff with the Lord, this private, personal stuff. And then suddenly he goes public and he says, Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. You see, a humble heart can't keep it to itself. A prepared heart wants other people to join. So here's two things I want to give you. A prepared heart is an encouraging heart. You say to other people, do as I do and worship the Lord with a prepared heart. Put away your trust in your prideful efforts and your prideful ambitions and join me in waiting on the coming Lord, in worshiping Him. And then a prepared heart is an evangelizing heart. It's an encouraging heart to God's people. Hey, worship with me. Worship with me. But it's also an evangelizing heart that says, Be as I am and prepare for the coming of the King with a humble and hope-filled heart. Listen, we've still got Sundays to invite people to Christmas. Amen? We've got tons of materials in the back. But materials that sit on tables don't invite people. You know who invite people? True worshipers that are prepared for His coming. That's who invite people. Because they're encouraging and they're evangelizing. So here's what I say to you today. As I thought through this song, it really made me think of joy to the world. Joy to the Lord, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart, what? Prepare him room. This is really a song about preparing room for the Lord in our prideful hearts. So I want you to listen to the song. Jerry, if you get the the lights. I want to end with this song.
1: Born today, prepare
2: preparing, let the King
1: of Glory enter in. God with us, the promise has come to be. This. To see In the darkness of blazing light To the heart hum-
0: 131 is a blueprint for how to do that. David did it, Mary, Joseph, Jesus, and every child of God that expects to enter the kingdom of God must prepare him room. And Lord, you enable us to do this through the Lord Jesus Christ in his grace. There's some future leaders in this room. May they take this song and sing it on a daily basis. Every one of us who names the name of Jesus, needs to be a prepared worshiper every Sunday, really every day. May this be the song of our hearts. May we truly have the heart of a prepared worshiper. So that when you come, and it could be today, we say that, I don't know that we actually live like that, but it could be today, Lord, that you come. May our hearts prepare Him room. For he is the one who is worthy in his name, the name above all names. We say, thank you, Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's worship. Let's worship.